Hey podcast, uh, the Gary V Challenge. Hashtag Gary V Challenge. That's right, I put out the huge deck. How many pages was that, 270? The, the, the deck I put out on my birthday uh, is out there now and now I'm scared. Why am I scared? Because people love consuming information but they hate doing the things in the information. So we're doing the Gary V Challenge. Hashtag Gary V Challenge. What does that mean? I am now challenging you, my audience, to make content at scale. Use the hashtag Gary V Challenge in Facebook, in Instagram, in Twitter, in LinkedIn so that we can find your stuff and I'm gonna pick some winners in January of the people that have gone out and actually made, making, contextually making, making at scale. Please go do that, go check it out. Looking forward to it, please enter. Doing always is better than reading. This is the Gary V Audio Experience. What's up everybody and welcome back. Next up on the 2019 Top Podcast Countdown, we have number five. We're gonna revisit a fire sit down that Gary gave for a 40s session back in June. He talks about brand and how it's the single most important thing in a business. So make sure to hit him up and let him know what you thought and I hope you enjoy. So my question is how do you work out how much you should spend on the content production side, everything you're doing on your personal brand, I haven't even really touched my personal brand and we're a content business ourselves versus working on product, generating more revenue to fuel that beast? Uh, My answer to that is as much as possible on the content side, financially and time. But not to overjudge yourself if you're not doing it, that's fine, like I don't dwell. But just so everybody understands, like at the end of the day, brand is what wins. It always has, it always will. It's how everybody makes a decision. Like literally, you cannot imagine how many decisions you're making on a daily basis solely on brand, nothing to do with sales. Yet everybody so over indexes on sales. It's why, you know, I've been learning a lot about the franchisee world just because the keynote I gave and just a lot of inbound and like, when I started realizing how much a new franchisee pays these brokers to get somebody, it speaks the same thing. Instead of spending those tens of, I mean some of these companies are, like when I looked at them, I'm like my God, like 40% commission, 80% commission, tens of thousands of dollars. I'm like I can send a single tweet and put 80 people into a franchisee's right now. When you build brand, you build leverage. You know, Vayner's a $200 million enterprise and we don't do new business well at all. We don't win RFPs. We're bad at it, we're bad at it. Cause it. And it's not because Andre or me or anything, it's just, it's not our DNA. It's just, our biggest clients just give us the business because of brand. And by the way, when you do personal brand, you actually lose 20 or 30% of the action because some people don't like you. When you actually just build a brand that's a logo, it really gets going. You know, for me, I want to do personal brand. And at some level, like I'm just not driven by money enough to like always make the financial decision over the happiness decision. But there's nothing that is more leverageable for you than the brand of your company or you as individuals. Where people get caught is they fake it until they make it. Where everybody gets caught is they play somebody on the internet that they're not in real life. That has been the reason I've made it. So. I would tell you that this is a very simple game of how much profit do you want to take home at the end of the year. The reason I've always been able to scale and get to everything is because I've always made it at the cost of my own personal financial impact. So you can if you're willing to make less money. You know, or, or you can if you realize actually I don't like this. 
Like I'm not into it. I'm more of a product guy. I'm more of a product gal. I'm more into getting, the, like self-awareness is imperative. Like you can't imagine how little time I spend on finance or legal. I mean, for all I know, Mark Yudkin, our lawyer, owns this company. He just puts things in front of me and I just sign. You know, like, you know, but that's why, you know, it's funny to have like comms and new business, like that's what I, or HR, like these are the things I micromanage more, at least have opinions on. I actually don't micromanage, but I have opinions. Or occasionally I'll have a dictatorship decision. But I think you need to first be self-aware of are you not doing it because you don't like it or it doesn't come natural or are you doing it because of whatever financial requirements you're looking for, whether that means you want to take money off the table each year in bonus and do something in your life, which is amazing. I don't judge what somebody does. Or is it because you're trying to flip your company and trying to maximize EBITDA for a multiple, which is all okay, awesome. I'm building businesses in perpetuity and I'm playing for legacy and I don't want to buy anything in real life. So think about why my advice is always pour it back in. If you understand, those are my north stars. But let me say this, building personal or brand for your business is the single most important thing in business. It's the single most important thing. It's number one, two, three, four, five, and six, especially as the internet continues to commoditize everything. Everything will be commoditized. Everything you do can be sold cheaper, different, better, da, da, da. It is your brand that plays in the end. McDonald's sells a lot of french fries every day. They don't make the best french fries every day. Matters. You don't want to be in the sales business. And that's where everybody, for the most part, is. Because then you're just in a hamster wheel of only as good as your last sale. You want people coming to you. The only way you can do that is through brand. What's amazing about the way we can build brand now is everybody here can do that by providing value for the ecosystem that they're trying to reach versus making a clever commercial. How'd you guys get here? It's a super meta answer. I didn't call you. I didn't cold email you. We talked about that. Like the, the execution doesn't have to be perfect, right? Because the brand's so strong. The execution of like getting the thing, filling out the form, sometimes it didn't work right. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Like the amount of dumb basic shit that we do wrong, it doesn't matter. You're gonna want if you want something, you'll get it. We don't want to do dumb shit, but but like but dumb shit is always trumped. Whereas like other people have to have everything perfect because they have no brand. They just have the luxury of the quick moment of a sales pitch and the lack of friction too. Sometimes. Oh, my great, the singular strength, my friend Tom Bell, you nailed it for me. I never thought about it. Singular strength I have, singular, is my inability to judge myself. I mean, Harry, you, you felt this right away in our first meeting. You, you literally, our first meeting, Harry runs comms now for us. She's like, I'd like to re- Change the mission statement on our website. This is like what the, this is what, like this is maybe the most important thing that people, it was a 38 second meeting. I'm like, okay. I was dying to think about what was going through her mind. Those are like seven month processes in other companies. You said it and I was just like, you said okay. I was like, I didn't know what to say after that. <laughs> because you come from a world, which is most of the world, where that literally 
people would have seven hour meetings about one adjective. You, like there was one answer you were not prepared yeah, for. Right. You had like, you were two Totally, I know that. And think about it, it's like your first week in a company, you're talking to like the over-indexing face and founder of the company, like it's a complete reversal of what one would think. But it's because most things don't matter once you establish a brand. I really think you should lean into it. I think it will help your business, but it takes time. And I think the biggest thing for a lot of you, and obviously I'm giving answer that helps a lot of you as I keep doing this, the intent of the content is imperative. The singular reason we win and I win is because not a single piece of content I ever put out has any intent to sell sneakers, wine, 4Ds, or VaynerMedia. Not interested. And people feel it. What's that? You can't hide it. I mean, you know, people call it bullshit radars, but we're animals, totally. right? It's like a bat can sense things, a dog can sense things. Like, we inherently have been sold to for so long at this point that it's, of course you can be tricked for a second because usually you're the kind of person that wants to dream and not put in the work. The reason diet pills and rich, quick rich schemes work is because people don't want to put in the work. You want to look like Nick Dio? Eat well and work out every day. Take off your shirt, Nick. It's <laughs> <laughs> good content, go ahead. He did that last night, it was wild. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, it's crazy. There's a trillion dollar health and fitness industry and the math is as basic as fuck. Eat well, work out. Sleep. But we don't want that. We want to eat fucking cheeseburgers and fucking potato chips and get the results. And that's how I think about business. This answer is 100% right. We live in a world where there's so much supply of everything we do and it will continue to grow because what I understood 15 years ago was the internet was gonna be the middle and everything was gonna be commoditized and the only thing that wasn't gonna be commoditized was brand and then the ability to execute a product that was at least within the circumference of the competitive set. But this ideology of like we have the best product, no you don't. You think you do, just like everybody thinks their kids are the cutest. Did America say that you're Miss America? You know? So that's how I think about stuff. How do you look towards growing, you know, because we live off of memberships and, and those kind of things, in a very competitive, tight space, right? Like, because they want me to move in into a place where there's six other places around the corner. Yeah, I mean, look, and it's fun to have some franchise wars in the building. Like, this has become such an intriguing space for me. First of all, what's really interesting is when you're a franchisee, there's a, I'm trying to calibrate in my mind this half-pregnant entrepreneurship DNA. And it's not a negative. I, you know what, I'm actually never gonna say half-pregnant again. I'm, I'm not kidding, because it, there's an, I use it as a, because I love entrepreneur, like, it's a very interesting idea where you're in between employee and entrepreneur. Like that's why you signed up for it. Like, like to me the thought of being at the mercy of the franchisor is devastating. I don't even have a board. I don't have investors. Like I, I don't know what to do because if I think this is right, like this is why I hated school. This is why I hate anything that contains me, right? Like even, even like comms, I'm like hey, I hope you know what you're signing up for. Like you'll tell me but like I have no idea what's gonna come out of my mouth. You know like I think that's I think, look, first of all, anything the franchisor wants, you have to be empathetic. This is not a negative, it's in their best interest. 
And that's fine. That's amazing. That's business. But you have to A, that'd be the first thing I would calibrate. If you were my brother, I'd be like, okay, let's first understand that they want you to do that because they want you to do that. That has nothing to do with you. You're a commodity, even though, like, it's just the truth. It's okay. I think that's not a negative. Um, That's number one. And number two, what are you able to do that distinguishes yourself that still stays within the lines of the franchisor's rules? I don't know enough about CrossFit's rules. Every franchisor has different rules of like how hardcore, how loosey-goosey. They all run, but I would have to. Super basic. It's easy name, people trained. Yeah, I mean. With that structure, but I'm also working on rebranding, obviously, so that we have more flexibility and experiences we can create. And do they allow that? 100%. Okay, great. Literally, the requirement is username, this, we have a username, and it's a marketing. Agreement. Yep. Process license, not franchise. Yeah. It's, it's literally got it. Use the word CrossFit. Yep. And you have to get trained by CrossFit. Yeah. I mean, I think that um, I think that if you're talking about, there's two separate conversations here. One is the location right? Is just a classic supply and demand conversation. Yeah. Is the rent worth the natural foot traffic you can? or the way I now think about it, which is not 1987 anymore where you just get the traffic because there's a Whole Foods or a mall or what have you. It's how much do I like the two mile radius of Facebook and Instagram ads against it. That's how I think about it now. Well, I like that, it's a good metric. I think that's a really, what I would do, Tim Ferriss did something super smart when he did the four hour work week. I mean, I heard about it like 13 years ago and to this day I still think about it because I didn't do it and I wish I, at some level it's so smart and I do it with my content. I'm doing something incredibly interesting lately with my content. We call it the machine. I'm running the same video on Instagram with seven different thumbnails and titles, seeing which one over indexes, and then then I'm posting it organically on my page. And they've done much better. I think one thing you could do is almost run an ad on Facebook and Instagram on a fake gym that doesn't exist and say coming soon and just seeing what people react to and be like, and just getting a sense of, like I would almost run a fake gym with maybe another popular brand, whether it's Equinox or Barry's or you know, whatever, or you know, Orange Theory, whatever, and run it on like 15 different like, like mile radiuses or like if you have four options of locations and just seeing where there's more demand. I mean, for a thousand bucks, you can get a read on if there's more demand than not. Um, so, what worked from a um, operational side of things? Like, when did you get, a, like, and uh, did you get a chief operating officer? Um, what, what kind of worked, but also what didn't work, and, and kind of the why, I suppose. What? Um, it's a great question. So, I always overhire, always, because I'm anticipating growth, and that's how you grow, you know. Uh, well, you'd like to think that you're getting the quality, you know, but yes, to your point, like, I was like, you seem nice, you're hired. Like, that was like literally how it went for like the first 300 people um, because I was willing to fire. And, and, and I don't like to fire. I'm kind of like, I'll turn this bad boy around, like that kind of DNA. So it was a really interesting like double play on my side, which is I hired, I talk about hiring fast and firing faster, but I also don't love firing because I was so into being operational and trying to fix in parallel. I think a lot of this comes down to knowing yourself, first of all. So I'll give you a very good piece of advice. I genuinely believe this and I've seen this everywhere. Hiring around you on the things that you don't want to be doing is unbelievably powerful. 
I couldn't be more bullish on it. If all of you right now just truly take a step back and say, what do I do every day that I don't want to be doing and hire for that, I couldn't be more. The reason a COO has never worked for me, not my dad, not my brother, not James Orsini, is because I'm an operator and I love it. And I'm willing to leave money on the table because I know if I'm a CEO, I could probably generate more top of the funnel business, but I love the challenge of operating. It's the game, I like it. Oh, Rick should be there or Susan should take that account or we'll create this pro, I love operating. Um, I'm, I'm good at it. That's why we're not vulnerable. <laughs> like, you know, when you hunt, you gotta be able to farm it. And when you know how to operate, you know, that's where most entrepreneurs lose. They can get the business, but sure he can't operate it, right? Uh, so I would highly recommend hiring around you. So if you're thinking about COO, are you just so overwhelmed or are you trying to be more physically out there? But then if you're trying to be physically out there, look, nothing excites me more for B2B businesses today than running content ads on LinkedIn against the employees of the people you know you're trying to reach. Like your business is so, dude, as somebody who's been in B2C and B2B, B2B is easier. Like when you know who you're trying to reach, it's easier. I don't know who the fuck drinks wine or wears sneakers. Like, but when you know that literally the companies you're trying to reach, you can run ads right now against employees of that on LinkedIn and all you have to do is make content that is valuable to them instead of saying sign up now. Instead of an infomercial, make a B2B magazine. Could be even not even about your own product. Yeah, like, I mean, so uh, we've got this big, so the reason I'm here is we've got this big conference coming up, it happens every year, American Library Association Conference. Yep. It's in DC actually, uh, in, in June, but yeah, we have a 20 by 30 booth, um, and we're talking about taking a video team with us, but we're going to interview not just our customers, but like other vendors in the industry right. and that kind of stuff. And the second, so. you know, obviously you know enough about me to, to know this, the second everybody here can be the voice of the industry and bringing value to everybody in the funnel, the quicker they win. It's what I learned with Wine Library TV. I started that to do QVC and within episode one, within the episode, intuitively I needed to become the wine spectator, not QVC and it changed the course of my life. And I've done it ever since. Guys, there are hundreds of agencies that literally just watch my content and get clients that we're trying to get with the same words. I mean, like, think about what's going, like how much I believe in it. It's coming out of my own short-term pockets. I'm really giving my best shit. Mm-hmm. What? Thank you. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> but think about how interesting that is. Like, right? Like it's a really, it's a really like, it's kind of, not that I'm knowledgeable enough about the Bible, but like I get it thrown at me. It's like quite biblical. It's like just like, it's truly that. So like you, you're the greatest thing you could do at this DC conference besides be successful and do your thing is to listen to the problems that they're all facing and put out content that addresses it or makes fun of it. Like you couldn't imagine, I, the amount of two minute videos made that is like a skit by comedians that make fun of library culture is zero. Every single fucking person in the industry would share a video that was funny about the 11 truths in your business. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like the cliche shit. Like the Dewey Decimal System shit? Yeah, like that. Like you should, like, you know, like. There's a a character, there's a character show that Dewey If you guys did a Dewey thing, if you like dug up Dewey, like the punchline is for everybody here, content that actually brings value to the end user, Game over. Yeah. 
you did it back to CrossFit. I mean, the big cliche thing I hear all the time is like people get hurt. If you just put out a content series, and that might struggle with corporate, and I have empathy for that, but if the content series in theory was just like how not to get hurt and like just deep knowledge on like the cliche 44 reasons why people do, you get over competitive, you lose your form, I don't know what the fuck. I believe in that shit. I believe. I, I put out so much content with the hope that nobody ever hires us. I'm not kidding. Because enough people will. And that's how you build brand and sentiment and like karma and like a whole lot of other things. Plus, there's one thing that I always have which is I know that I'm always gonna be good at emerging trends. I'm not scared to give away all my social media advice because I know I'm gonna be great at voice and AR and machine learning and blockchain. And like it's, I'm the same thing, just, you know? You're welcome. All right, so I have two kind of yep. questions. So the first one is where I get mixed up a lot is that we have two audiences, right? So we're selling franchises to a million dollar net yep. investor. Yep. But then our end user who's who's their yep. client is yep. your stylist, yep. making fifty thousand yep. a year. Yep. So creating or, or how to differentiate our company to these different audiences. And then the second piece is, you know, we've been I think one thing you can do is the logo could focus on the end user addressers and then the humans, whether you or somebody else, could focus on the franchisees. You see where I'm going? Yeah. That's a, first of all, you or somebody and the logo of the company should have separate accounts. There's a VaynerMedia account, there's Gary Vee, there's Wine Library, right? Yeah. So if you think about the nature of it, the, the brand can really focus on the end and you can focus on the B2B part with occasional reference to the end. Look, I'll be honest with you. I'm also extremely comfortable with the account doing both. Some people may find it intriguing on the back-end business stuff. You know, it's not the end of the world. Most of this stuff is not about organic anyway. It's about paid amplification. So, but I think there's a natural for you guys to have a human face for to be, yes. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And then the second one is, you know, so we're, we've been creating content and putting it out there with very, like, little success. I don't think our competitors are doing it great, but like how do you set benchmarks for your team to hold them accountable? How do you know when to fire? Like, you know, if I say, hey, our social, our digital space now, like I could fire everybody. Business but results. I mean, we're doing good, but I don't think we're knocking it out of the park with, with digital, like by any means. So fire. Fire. Yeah, there's no benchmark, like that's an owner, that's a she or he decision. Okay. What you'll learn is, you know, it's like, breaking up with a boyfriend and then thinking two boyfriends down the line like, uh, was I wrong about Rick? Because he's been a lot better than Stan and John. Maybe I fucked up. That happens. But that's the true answer, right? To me, it's like, are you happy with your business results from the thing? And if you're not, business results. Not how many likes or shares or followers. Business results, right? And if you're not, that's attributable to that, you, you break up with Rick and you just hope that that was right. Yeah, I just, I haven't seen anyone in my space do it really well, so it's like, I just. And are as well trying to get the, the $1 million people into the funnel, or as well on the end user? I would say both. Okay. Both, I mean, yeah. we're all in franchising really dependent on brokers, especially at that million dollar investment level versus, you know, like a CrossFit or a fitness, you know, the owner operator models of 100, 200,000 to invest are, are pretty easy organically, but that million dollar investor, it's been a little harder to tap into organically. It makes sense because I think to get that person, you need to be making a show about the whole concept of franchisees, not about your specific content. Right, okay. 
You see where I'm going? Like you need to become the back of Ink Magazine and you know, like, you know what I mean? But I mean, but, but like you need to become Ink. Like this is where I keep going into like that. Like you need to interview like 365 days a year somebody who's successfully run a franchise to inspire the people to listen to that to then get into the potential funnel of considering you. And see, that's where I think those two audiences come back in. Like, that's not Correct. relevant to the nope, salon. Nope, it's not. And so you make that and you run that on LinkedIn, right? Yeah. And then on Instagram, you, you see what I mean? Mine is stay with a brand, move on to kind of a new brand idea. So we have a brand that, um, it's called Cebu. It's our private label, Clear Care. Um, it does have its own website. It has no brand awareness. We have links from that platform onto our other salon sites. So we do a little business online. Okay. And a little bit more now that, um, you know, everybody understands what a CTA is in email quarantine. <laughs> but, um, but the issue is, could we create something bigger and better that actually solves to um, a bigger purpose, not just selling Cebu, but... Um, it allows indie brands to have um, a bigger site to be able to launch their brands. As long as you, as you long as you understand how big of an ambition the sentence that just came out of your <laughs> mouth is, what you just said in that sentence is usually a fifty million to hundred million dollar funded startup with yeah. deep two way marketplace DNA. The answer is you could, but there's you know people sometimes ask me, hey Gary. God, you were so early at all these tech companies, this and that, like, why don't you have an app? Why don't you have a company? I'm like, because I don't want to, because I don't think it's my strength. I don't think I'm the founder of Uber or Facebook mm-hmm. or Twitter. Like, you're, you're also talking about at a time where Shopify and Amazon are gonna grow at scale. So for you to create a third-party marketplace, like an infrastructure to be a WordPress, on the e-commerce, you're going into shark territory, which you could win within a small niche, I, but you have to make sure that you guys have the DNA to actually, like, as long as you, like, notice, I'm jumping in because I wanna make sure you realize that that's not, like, everything so far has been, like, a pass away. Mm-hmm. Com- like, that is a huge, like, meaning, not to undermine, it's like, it's doable. Yours is doable if you're gonna, but you're gonna build a billion dollar business that, like, that's like a real big thing. And I think people throw around this theory very nonchalantly in the business world. Every day I get a, oh, we're gonna be a marketplace. I'm like, there's like six marketplaces. Like, you know, it's like, like Yahoo lost being a marketplace. Like, you know, like, so yes, I just wanna make sure that you understand. Like I'm giving you a reaction to make sure you understand how grand that is. Yes, I do. I do. I've actually started a website. I believe you. And it's I'm sure. Monstrous in terms of the money and the time and the people. And At this time, mm-hmm. when it's never going to be easier or less friction to do short-term sales through the Shopify and Amazon ecosystem, it's not about like, it's not the macro thesis. It's the thesis at this moment in the emergence of those two specific platforms that gives me just pause to like think about it. But go ahead. Yeah, I mean my worry is if we stay with what we're doing at some point, I don't know how relevant the what we're doing today on e-com is going to be. Speak to me about that. When you say I just want to make sure I'm following along. You mean how relevant that one brand will be? Yes. 
so look, I mean, it's, it's not a very complicated thing. To your point, you just have to understand if you're looking to become, you know, a platform or a product. Are you gonna be smart water or are you gonna be, it's not Walmart, but it's a QVC, mm-hmm. right? They're just two very different things. I will say this. I believe that we're walking, it's ironic, I'm gonna take a little bit of a different stance. I think we're walking into the golden era of the capability of direct-to-consumer brands at scale. You're gonna be competing, but the opportunity to have the leverage, I mean, think about the nature of being a product. You were always at the mercy of your distribution. Yes. You're not going to be. And so that's exciting. It's now how good is the product and how good are you at building a brand around a product versus how good are you at building a platform and building a brand about the platform. I think that becomes the debate. But I wouldn't run away from being a brand because a lot more brands are coming. I would try to see, I see the positive in DTC more so than the negative. I really do. Because, because the, the ability to compete against everybody else's DTC is I think more of a fair fight than competing with the hope that Sephora carries you. There was major toll booths that kept all the margin. The retailers have won the leverage game over the last decade. Uh, So I think that's the question. I wouldn't, I'm excited about DTC. I just think you have to be the best olive oil, you know, let me phrase, you have to be a top. I think the long tail of DTC is more fruitful than the long tail of marketplace. Got it. See where I'm going? I do. That's my point of view on it. Mm-hmm. And I'm spending a lot of time in that world. A lot. I think to piggyback on Please. that, for us we've got uh, 10% of our sales, so we've got 500 million in sales. 10% comes from product, um, and then 90% from service, right? The 10% more profitable, better margin for us. Uh, we have a site around hairpettery.com, and we're trying to, how do we build that name? And, and the thought was, do you build a different site that allows you to attract more eyeballs to it to sell our product off of versus hairpettery.com? Or you could just, what is the brand called? So, what, what about what about building? Well, we do that. That's correct. But we sell, our concern is the 10% we sell right now, you can buy anywhere. Amazon, you can buy from the website of Paul Mitchell, you can go to Amazon, buy our concern is are we gonna lose that 10% because we just You're gonna lose it if you're not thoughtful about it. But if your site has an added layer of value, like a club that creates content or access, uh, I think you should immediately start creating a weekly, monthly, uh, yearly special SKU only available in your world. So like if you're formulating new products, you know, one of the things I'm trying to push a lot of my CPG brands is to create a super premium version. So like I'm literally trying to sell like a hundred dollar ketchup that only comes out during the holidays. You can only buy on their .com. So I think what's amazing is, I think this is fun. My natural DNA is always to look at the offense of a scenario versus the defense. Your defensive point of view is absolutely correct. There's far less friction to buy from Amazon when you're buying your deodorant and your you know, peaches and then throw yours in. But you actually fucking own the product. So your ability to create a club, so if you're buying your stuff, you're in the club and I have no idea what you want to add on to that. Because um, you have, one more time and I'm trying to remember. So you got this product, then you have salons, right? Yep. We do, we sell them in salons and then our, our products also sell, sold on Amazon. Right, and then you have your own salons. Mm-hmm. Which we sell about six million. 
of this product, but the salons are yours? Yes. I mean, look, in theory, you could tell the end consumer that they get a 5% discount on their salon work if they buy the product on your site. You have all the advantages. I'm a big fan of fucking Amazon before it fucks you. That's what I did with Facebook. Facebook didn't fuck me. Everyone's like, Facebook, I built myself off of it. You have the leverage. You can use people, you can use Amazon to get people into your ecosystem and then remarket to them as the brand by printing something on the back of the fucking bottle that says join club, like, so I think it's a concept of, I don't think it's as black and white as the convenience of the lack of friction of shipping or cost. I think it's what are you gonna do to the product and what are you gonna layer as bells and whistles added value that forces everybody, I actually genuinely believe that the smartest brands are gonna fuck Amazon, not the other way around, if they're very thoughtful to some of the stuff I just referred to. When you build added value around buying it from you at the same price, you win. Now you can use Amazon as your gateway drug to acquisition. That's what I would do. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Appreciate it. The question I have is, um, we're going to talk later on the, on the agenda about culture. Yes. Um, we have a very strong intentional culture and, you know, founded business by Dennis Ratner and he's really uh, created that culture which we've got a lot of tenure in, in our business but uh, we're projecting it out over the next 10, 15, 20 years and, uh, from a legacy perspective. And how do we keep that culture and how do we actually make it stronger? Um, so any recommendations on how you believe culture here, for example, what you're trying to do yeah. to create a legacy and what you'd recommend? You know, You've already kind of won. If, even if there's 98%, let alone 100% truth behind your statement, you've already won. The ambition for legacy already changes behavior. I think this is a big game of firing. I think the biggest challenge for people that look like me and sounds like what you guys have is do you have the stomach for short-term financial pain by firing the most productive but people that don't actually bring value to the culture? It's a very simple game of like, do you live your truth? It's really easy to maintain culture. Choose culture over money. I really believe it. I live it, I watch it, I see it in companies that I push it into if they're an investment of mine. I really think it's, you know, it's scary when something like that is so simple, but it's, um, it's like religion. Do you follow it or don't you? Like, and where you choose to bend, becomes the variable of how good the culture is. But culture's made up of the humans that are in it at the time, you know? And like, when there's lore, like founder Rick Thompson or Susan Magoo, she always, whoever's the executive of running that, you know, whoever runs VaynerMedia when I go and buy Smartwater and become the CEO, and that's what's gonna happen. The next chapter of this company is, I'm gonna buy something when the world melts, and when I go run Mountain Dew or Stickers or Puma or whatever the fuck I buy, I'm gonna be at the mercy of her or his capability to uphold what I believed in. And so I think you make it clear. That's why, you know, you know, it's funny to think about America this way, right? Like, how we interpret the Bill of Rights or the Constitution becomes obviously very intriguing. That's what we, becomes our culture, but having it is already the starting point. But I think it's a one, I, I believe culture's one big game of do you have the ability to fire the most productive, worst person? I really believe in that. Yeah. And it's not gonna be the, it's gonna be the judge you're gonna fire, right? 
Yeah, but the way I think I get there is by that in-between move. I really do. I really think the reason I built Vayner and the reason it's built this way and unique in its way is I think I've built something that, no, like if I, ran, if I truly bought Smartwater tomorrow, like it would be a much bigger company <coughs> after four years based on all the things we've done. So I'd like to get back to the concept we were talking about, um, about company brand versus personal brand. Please. Um, right now our social media content is kind of focusing on both. We've got our, our company brand that I focus on mm-hmm. um, probably more than Ari's personal brand. And Ari really is the brand of the company. Makes sense. So my question is, my time is limited. Mm-hmm. I only have so much to put into it. Which one makes more sense to put more time into? Which one is doing better from your perspective? Are you doing it yourself on your own page at all? My own LinkedIn page, you mean? Or wherever you guys yeah, are. Yeah, yeah, So, yeah, yeah, I mean, yes, correct. I'll off my own LinkedIn page. You know, what, what is always the word, I mean, when Harriet was like, I'm sure this is fun to have her in a room, like, when you look, when you're in our industry, as she is, and you look at Vayner from the outside, people believe the vulnerability is it's so much about me and not enough about Vayner. And there's real truth to that. If you're an executive at Smart One and you're like, Am I getting a company? Is it Gary? Like These are the things you need to think about. At the same token, when you kind of start peeling away and you start realizing this is a company that doesn't have to win business through RFPs and you think about all the dollars, you start having a really, you have a more complicated debate. You know, For me, for example, this is why I'm bringing this up. The thing I'm probably most proud of in the 10 years that I've run this company and built this company is my ability to trick the market of how big it is. My biggest fear was if anybody in the big boy and girl world of advertising understood how big what I was building was going to be, that they were gonna focus on it. And you know, I'd never competed against multi-billion dollar international companies starting from zero. That's, that's a challenge because if one really understood me, they could just throw money at it. They could, like, if, literally, if I was the competitor of VaynerMedia five years ago, I would have literally emailed every single person on LinkedIn that worked here and said, what's your salary? I will pay you three times more and it would have been the right business decision. Um, So I've purposely not built VaynerMedia's brand because I needed the market, my competitors, to underestimate it and continue to think it's Gary and a bunch of interns, like who is this charlatan and like this can't be real. That was our advantage. From the outside it's too much about me, right? But what nobody knew from the inside is, I have no clients. I've built a scalable company. You know, building up Gary, you would think, oh shit, every client's gonna want Gary. I don't talk to any of them. So I was able to successfully create me as a top of funnel awareness, but then when it became a real meeting, she or he on the other side, the CMO, knew right away, I'm not your account person. You can be, I can be in the bat phone business. We can have lunch once a year, but I'm the CEO and executive of this. I'm not, I don't service your account. You're buying VaynerMedia, you're not buying Gary. That comes down to how he's running his business right now, where you guys are at scale, right? So I guess those are the questions. Are you servicing the business? Is it a vulnerability right now? Is it small enough where we can keep leaning into what is actually working? Do you do a good job once the customer comes into the funnel to realize it's not him? Or is it still him at this point, which is super fine too? That's the right formula for that. Does that make sense? So to the extent, just to go that one step further, so to the extent that it isn't me doing the servicing, where does that fall into the... It is not you doing the servicing? Okay, 
And that's very clear early in the funnel, like the conversation happens, right? That it's not gonna be, but I still do close almost all the new business. I get that and so did I. Right. Um, then I probably still, I, I would say this, if you are fortunate enough to have a face that has all the right personality traits, I'm sure, you know, Harriet's gonna continue to, like, I'm not looking to suppress my people into the press. I just don't want anybody to know who the fuck we are. Like, if they, like, like there's strategy to it. So, like, I think if you still have all the right characteristics, I think if you're fortunate enough to have a founder, if she or he has good characteristics and it's not about ego and insecurity and all those weird things, then you, then you ride that personal brand because it converts better. A human face converts better than a logo often. The struggle is also his time because he's the CEO and he's doing all these other things. His time is extremely limited. That's why I created document, not create. Can I? Can I yeah, you can bounce. You can yeah. bounce. We got time. So, so just the, so then the, the the riff on that, or where we struggle a little bit there, is sort of in the B two B world, right? So so we're we're a small company, but you know a little over forty people. Um, the B two B world. So some interesting parallels, like our market, since we're looking for companies headquartered very nearby, is a limited market, right? There's maybe like a thousand companies that could potentially be our clients locally, so we engage there. But the people that we connect to are generally CFOs and CEOs who care very little about the detail of how we execute, but care a lot about the outcomes that they get. So we, I find that we struggle, or I struggle to see the document versus create when I feel like a lot of the documentation isn't super interesting to them and, and wouldn't necessarily get them in. Makes a ton of sense. So to that point, I agree with you. I don't think you should document create, which is why we created the model around the podcast or the show. There's two ways to go. And I think when you start inviting them, I mean, so you're saying it's literally just like the, nothing excites me more, and there's a couple here, than to having a regional business to do a show around because then you get to host a party. You, I mean, literally, literally, you guys should literally have every business leader, CEO, and CFO on your show. Once you host a party, you win. Like, you know, I've said it a lot, and maybe you've caught on my content. Like, I call this the high school party rule. Like, if you're the kid in high school who's lucky enough that your parents travel on weekends, and you're like a C level popular kid, the second you throw the junior year party at your house, you go from a C to an A minus in popularity because you're letting the A pluses make out at your house. So, how, where do we get to figure out? So, where do we figure out how to get that, what that good content is? Like, where that. Do a show where you interview businesses in the Hartford area. Literally, once you establish some macro show, like whether you call it, you know, New England this or Hartford that, create a macro framework for it, and now you're emailing literally the people you want to do business with, saying we're intrigued by your leadership, we'd love to have you on the show, versus emailing them saying we want your business. We're already doing that now at scale, so scale, scale. I think to add another wrinkle to it is not only is it businesses, it's manufacturers, high-tech manufacturers, yeah. so it's even more niche. Love. Than, it's even better. Like, yeah. they don't get any fucking love. Yeah. Like, what, what fucking podcast wants them on their show? <laughs> Nobody. No, no, really, this is really quite no, crazy. No, I know you know it, you're feeling it intuitively. Like, imagine a world, you know, this played out extremely for me, real quick, just to bounce around a little bit. On the Pure Wow and, and 137 side, we have podcasts. We just launched a show called The CMO Podcast. I, I got Jim Stangle, who's like the former CMO of Procter & Gamble. He's like the legendary CMO to all the current CMOs because Procter was Procter. He's the host. And literally, the CMOs of the biggest companies in the world are literally coming through our door every day to be on a show. Imagine an hour, you will get everybody to say yes that you've been dying to have a conversation with about a business if you say, come to my office 
and sit with me for an hour and I'm gonna interview you about your leadership, your business, your thing, they're literally walking into your fucking company. And if you really have the discipline to not sell and say nothing, yeah, yeah, yeah. nothing, inevitably she's gonna be on the way out or he's on the way out gonna say, what do you guys do here? Oh, no, no, oh really? Actually, I fucking hate my people. Why don't you call it? I'm gonna put you in touch with Rick Thompson who runs our, 100%, 100%. You can keep the shit for an hour. No, easily, yeah, no, it's. There's, it's by the way, there's nothing easier than to be a host of a podcast. You ask eight basic questions. How'd you get into this? What's been going on? Like, like, it's super crazy. Uh huh. I know it's super obvious, and what's scary about super obvious is how well it works. Back to what I think about all the times. The reason I put out everything is I do not believe my ideas, even though a lot of times they're early and well thought out historically, are my special sauce. My execution is my special sauce. Right? Can I ask a question about the digging into like the so? You know, how did you scale the business so quickly? Like, so one of the biggest challenges that we have, right, is we've almost, we've been fairly, we've been successful. So we, you know, our marketing strategy, we're doing a lot more digital now, but has been a lot of, we call it one to many. So, you know, they'll book me to go, like to the Connecticut CPA Association, do a lot of like just educational content, right? Zero about us, all about. But think about how much, if you film that and put it on LinkedIn. Yeah, totally. Yeah, that I have is, a lot of footage. Yeah, and that's what we're starting through. to super get into. So now the challenge we have is like we're almost overselling the capacity, right? And it's not like McDonald's, I just get a bigger fry later and I generate more fries, right? The, the Getting the human capital ahead is a, is a challenge. People overthink hiring. Just hire. It sounds scary. I'm gonna hire a clown, she or he's gonna suck, and I'm gonna lose the client. I'm like, but you wouldn't have the client. <laughs> right. And when you're willing to bleed, if your ambition's high, I always feel like I'm able to it's fix. Not, it's not the bleeding of the money, although I mean clearly that's somewhat part of it. No, but no, but notice how my analogy wasn't the money. It was the clients. I think you're coming from a good, I think most people come from a good place. I do I, have a big fear around that, of like breaking the brand. You know, we've got, we have so much good street cred, there's that huge fear of like fucking up that client. Bro, everything's fixable. Yeah, the other at bat right now. <laughs> Give them the money back. Like, like money is not actually the thing. For me, like I'm never scared because everything's fixable. I'll give you a year free service. I'll fucking let your son intern here. I'll do whatever the fuck it, like everything's fixable if you have that. This is why I talk so much about intent. This is why I talk about lack of fear plus the biggest mistake a lot of people make is they make a call for the other person. Life's about alternatives. Like if the client's happy, the client's happy regardless of what you're subjective of like our qual, right? It's hiring. I don't overthink hiring. I try my best, I hire. People have so much ego in hiring. It's just this underlining like insecurity to be wrong. I love when I'm wrong. Guys, I mean this. Like, you don't know me well enough to like, this is the truth. Like, there's a weird part of me. I don't know if it's like, it's a, probably a very flawed, like sick part. I get excited sometimes when I hire a very senior person and like a week later I'm like, nope. <laughs> and I know that for the next 18 months, because you know, like, right? Like, right? 18 months. And that's like C-suite, where like you just can't scare everybody that you're just fucking changing it, like your underwear, you know what I mean? But like, do you know what that, that's happened to me twice. A weekend. I'm like, good, eh, fucked it up. <laughs> and then all the extra work I have to put in to disguise that and like manage it and manage, you know, then four months later, the smartest people start saying, wait a minute. I think this person sucks and you gotta manage that. And then like nine months later when the next level of smart people are like, I think this person sucks. And then like, you gotta, like, the game. So just lack of fear. 
lack of fucking fear. And more importantly, like no business than yeah, firing. And listen, I'm the worst. I'm a bleeding heart like you would not imagine. Actually, your piece of content where you talked about Yes. Stuff, where you talked about sort of like, you know what? If you, if you can't do it, just fuck it. Just overpay them out. So we're just like letting somebody go right now who Best. I just feel horrible. Like she's got a bad situation. Yep. She's only been once for three yep. months. I was like, just give her six months severance. Like whatever. I like, do it all the time, bro. Get it. Just, it's going to make Isn't it great? Dude, at the end of the day, it's not about money out here. It's about like feeling good and happy. And like, it, like I understand that my CFO is not happy with me, but that's what I need. I fucking fire people, give them a huge severance, and then I pay them on the side for two months. I do so much weird shit. I'm always like, I always think like, man, if somebody investigated me, they'd be like, oh, here's the fucking silver bullet. Why is he paying Rick on the side? Because I'm nice? Like, it's like super weird, but like, it's really, like, like nobody would ever believe me. Like, if you played that on like 60 Minutes of somebody trying to get me, they'd be like, impossible. Is it literally just your DNA? Like, is there some like mental mnemonic? Like, I know this is crazy kind of question, but it's like you know, I mean, you because we have sort of similar family backgrounds. Actually, you know, like uh, Eastern European Jew, like immigrants, yeah. right? And like, so you know, we just so first of all beat up education, education, education. So like, when I went out of like the lawyer track, my parents were like, "Oh my God, what's happening?" You know, I got lucky. That's where I got really blessed, and I feel a huge sense of like guilt and gratitude. I can't believe my mom let me get away with D's and F's, where everybody else was like, "You're going to fucking Harvard." Mm-hmm. Like I got really hit the lotto on that one. But that perfection was like almost like beat in. From not mine, no, not mine. That's where, I tr- where I'm where i trying to create it. clarity. Yeah. Like I, it's why I'm so confident. All that happened in my life was everybody said I was losing except my mom. So think about that. You've won. Like that's actually the dream, like the dream scenario for disproportionate confidence is the world tells you you fucking suck but your mom tells you you're the best. And she's also smart enough to not create delusion. So when you go 0 for 4 in Little League, it wasn't the sun's fault in your eye or like your coaches, it's you suck. So it's accountability, but ugh, she fucking crushed it. Like I am a complete byproduct of, and not only that, I've been hot on my mom's like stuff lately. My dad saved my ass big because what I was also though, by being such a good storyteller, was I was completely full of shit when I was 14. I would say anything to sell anything. I lied out of my mouth 24 hours a day. And that's who I would have become and that's what a lot of people think I am at first because of my showmanship but he corrected me because I got lucky again that my dad is, my dad thinks if you embellish to him once, embellish. There were 19 people at the party. He's like there were eight and that's it. Three strikes you're out, I'm not your friend. Literally, like I don't know a single more extreme version of somebody who's more uncomfortable with exaggeration, let alone lying, than my dad, which over a course of four or five years of my teenage years scared the fuck out of me. Because it started with like, Dad, I sold 98 bottles. He's like, you sold six. And then six became from 98 to 44 to 13 to six. And I got, you know, I got, I'm very aware of how this all happened. And then if like it was reversed and my dad was first parenting me and my mom, I would have been a complete nightmare. I would have been insecure and full of shit. Like, <laughs> like, like, so like, I'm quite grateful. So anyway, I'm sorry, but I wanted to create that clarity. That is important for you to know that part though. And I think a lot of what you're hearing manifests from that. So, but I host the party. Yeah, get back to the, the hosting of the party. And, and let's talk more because you got three seats here like and yeah, if you yeah, have a question yeah, yeah. but like so I think, I, I think go I ahead. Would, I would bounce back to part of part of the value of this is confirming what we already know and watching our For game. sure. I know we should be doing that. No. So and then you get excited when you start to hear like 
do you guys have it so easy? It's like a niche within a niche. You know the thousand businesses. Oh. Geographically, you know oh. the Yeah, because geographically gets into branding that I get excited about. Like to me, I wish, like just because I know how big I can make something because I'm an operator, I'm like, man, if I had the New England Business Podcast, it's game over. New Give me England one year. Manufacturer business podcast oh. is even easier. Yeah, but like, you know, like, yeah. That's exactly right. I think we've been struggling a little bit with like, Tom, we've done this, we've done that. Where are the results? Why aren't they calling us yet versus this patience? That, patience, that patience. is audacity. That's, that's ego. I never think anything. I think I suck. I'm being dead serious. I'm confident, but like, I genuinely wake up this morning and be like, the, like, like I could suck for the next year and make a ton of bad decisions and literally everything I've done is wiped. You know? I believe that. Business is unforgiving compared to sports on this one. In sports, Muhammad Ali can lose to Trevor Burbick in his last fight. We don't know that. I know that because I'm a boxing nerd. You don't know that, right? Business is different. When you lose, everyone then wipes out what you've done well. Like Boeing. What's that? Like Boeing. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, Like the narrative can change very quickly. We shit on Woolworths. It was the dominant retailer in this country for a hundred fucking years. So, on, but on that on that journey, right? Like, so it's not, not just saying the audacity of expecting why doesn't happen faster, but there's got to be something to know you're on the right track, right? Is it just content? Mar- like, no, no, no. The market be- speaks your business. I knew I was on the right track because the first two years when I was half pregnant on VaynerMedia, we did three million in revenue, and the first year I ran it, we went from three to fourteen. That was very obvious. And 14 to 27, like business results. And that was all based on what? Larger, like less clients, bigger fees? More like talk there's about a lot that. of th- There's a lot of things I'm good at. And the core thing I'm good at is a mix of the followings. I tend to sell something that most people don't see at first. It ends up being right a lot of times, which creates the back end. But at the time, I'm extremely good at selling in the short term. There was no brand. Twitter, I had a lot of followers, so there was a little something, but what I'm really good at is wasting no time on selling to the unsellable. Like, one of the reasons I'm fascinated by franchise to become a franchisor, and I'm like, what would I do? Is because I would be incredible at getting franchisees for a couple reasons. One, I'm just, a lot of entrepreneurs look up to me, and like, so that would be good, probably. But after I filled the bucket, it's like empathy. Okay, I've sold my $2 million worth of wine, now I've got another $4 million to sell. Now it's work. In that part, I just don't fucking waste time. Like, I go to a new business pitch, back to the same way I know somebody I fucked up on, I go to a new business pitch, it's scheduled for an hour, I sometimes bounce after 30. Because I decide it's over three minutes in. I'm like, she has no interest in me. And I don't have ego to be like, to convince her. I'll give it my best at bat, and hopefully he or she will like it. But I think the reason I was able to grow so quickly is I'm very good at selling and focusing on people that will actually buy. So get, the, get enough people interest and then move on from the I don't think, them. I think it's funny, back to like what you said, like I never think I deserve anything, period. And look, VaynerMedia is the only company run by somebody who actually has success in doing the work that they do. Like in the whole fucking ad world, like I laugh when people think I'm Gary Vee and don't realize I'm running this company. Like, like you're doing social media work with an agency that was built to make television commercials? I'm like the fucking poster child of the whole game. You know, and yet 
we don't get business from people all the time. Yes, of course, of course. There's a, you know, you're only gonna get certain batting average that's gonna work out the way it does. But I think if you host a party Just and go, the, yeah. if you create the right packaging and then the right merchandising of that packaging, it's off to the races. How did you recruit early on? What was it technique to get those, like fill the uh, funnel, get the staff? I hired 50 kids who had no idea what the fuck they were doing. Just from where? You mean employees or? Yeah, employees. At the time I had a big enough Twitter. My brother brought like six of his friends from high school and college. I mean, it was a fucking rat. I mean, <laughs> we didn't have any agency people. So at the level you're at now, the content will recruit. Yeah. Run, 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 run your podcast against employees of your competitors that you want to hire. We need to do a lot more paid. Like you have to do a lot more paid. When or when organic this is for everybody. When organic went away from Facebook and everybody got their anger and like fuck Facebook, I got fucked. I got pumped because people started like getting confused because paid was underpriced. And I was like, I'm unemotional. If I could, like, I get that this was free, but if this is still a good deal, then it's still a good deal. I don't care about yesterday. Back to that mentality. Like yesterday doesn't matter. Facebook's free. You got all that organic traffic. You weren't paying Facebook for that organic traffic. It was a trade. They had a platform with a lot of attention. You produced content for it and a trade. The organic goes down, you have to pay for it, you have to do a lot more paid. The reason you have to do a lot more paid, everybody, is you, you can target who you want to reach. When you know you're about to spend $150 against employees of your direct competitor from eight towns over, you're already thinking differently in the video you're about to make. You might make a video of like how fun it is at your foosball table in your office. Because Rick at the other company's like, we don't have a foosball table. <laughs> like, I don't, like, no, I, I only make content knowing who's gonna see it. And the answer is do it, right? Like, what, like, People are like, you always go viral. I'm like, I made a video called, you're 65 and your life's not over and I ran ads against people who are 65. It's gonna do well. It's really, it's, people underestimate how powerful it is. Action's the key, execute. But if you make the podcast, you'll crush because now you're gonna have CEOs and CFOs come in and be guests. That's gonna already be a slight biz dev opportunity but you're also gonna be able to post produce and run some of those funny quotes, funny moments. You're gonna be at, she's gonna be looking, you're gonna be thinking, oh, he, like Jason and I are doing it right now. I'm like, what I'm telling you to do, I'm doing right now. Like as I'm talking, I'm like looking at him like, did you see that? Was that smart? Should we cut that? Let's test that. Like that's what you'll be doing in a year and now all of a sudden you answered a question where the CFO of the top 15 company like is really caught off guard and she's like, that's smart. Now you're like, ooh, you know? Now you're running it against all CFOs. The machine. So one question for yep. follow up. So you always talk about the content and like the market decide. Yes. So for you, when you launched one library, you said a year and nobody watched it. Yes. So you know, if we're producing content, personal brand and other things, yeah, you, you didn't let that swing you, but did the market, you know, eventually... Be- because I have no expectations of the market for a long time. But the wine versus the, the motivation and business mindset that seems to be driving different. Do you think the wine content would, would do well right now? That you would, would you want to I think I'm a showman in hindsight. Something I didn't know about myself at 34, I really didn't. Like I never, I got a D in speech. You know, like, like I didn't know that I had this shtick. I knew I was a good salesman on the floor at the liquor store. I knew that I was a good class clown where the teacher wasn't mad at me so I knew I had a good tact but none of this stuff even crossed my mind. So now, I mean, I think if I did anything tomorrow it would work. Really. If I talked about something I knew. 
Like if I did a sports, I would be the number, I genuinely believe I'd be the number one voice in sports today if I decided tomorrow for the next three years to go all in. I think I'd be bigger than Stephen A. Smith and Max Kellerman and all these, I just do. Because I think I have a personality that clicks with people. That's just a trait. Some people don't. That's why I talk about writing and audio. You might not be great on video, but you might be a tremendous writer. Or you might just not be cracked out to be the personality. Then you lean into the logo or hire somebody. MetLife hired Snoopy. Yeah. You know? So that's you where you- a piece of content where you talked about how like you did this thing at Vander where you like invested and then a year, like investment year, profit year, future. Oh, the stairs? Yeah, just you know, that. I think I'm uncomfortable with not having some cash on hand for a rainy day. So I think, I used to think a lot. Now I'm, I've molded a little bit from it, but I'm a very big fan of getting people to invest in their business instead of taking the money off the table. Sure. Like just everybody wants to build big businesses, but then what they're really doing is building lifestyle businesses for the things they want, which is also tough for me because if you want a car, or, like kudos, do your thing. But yeah, there, I mean, I aggressively, in the first five years of Vayner and the first five years of Wine Library, had a pretty hardcore system where like one year I would try to make no profit. Poor, invested all, all of it, zero all of it, zero. And the following year? A little bit, more. Which is like five, or like? Uh, for 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 both, I'll give it to you. Yeah. For both businesses, between five and ten percent. Is that where you run it today? Is like keep running it the same way? You change that? I keep running it because I'm just like. But again, I'm building it in perpetuity. You have to know what you're up to. Like again, if somebody here wants to flip their business, I like, and I'm sure everybody's big boy and big girl enough to know that. But yeah, I mean, like, look, it's 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 your other family member, right? You got to feed it. Right. Got to take care of it. You know. Cool. If you want to build big. Yeah, yeah, which is the goal. Well then, you gotta feed it. And then that's when you can hire and fire, like all that stuff, because you're not worried about the, people are like, well Gary, it costs more to fire somebody. Well I'm not as worried about the profit margin being insane. I'm trying to catch the growth. Thanks guys for listening. Please, please, please share the podcast and make sure you've subscribed because a bunch of you aren't subscribed and more importantly, a bunch of you listen every day and haven't told your friends it's the best podcast in the world. I'm watching. (laughs) Have a great day.